Good morning. It's very good to see you all. About 15 years ago, I received an email from a lady in Calgary saying that as churches, we should be prepared for a pandemic. And I thought, doesn't this lady have anything to do but (laughs) worry about a possible pandemic? And here we are. I would like to say a big thank you to all of you here at Wallenstein who have faithfully supported Heather and I through our whole married life. It's been a long time. And so uh, it's very good to be with you this morning. I want to give a little mini VMC update, Vision Ministries Canada. Uh, This year, or last year, we reworked our vision statement so that it now reads, to plant and invigorate churches by nurturing, inspiring, and collaborating with leaders and cultivating a partnering network of churches primarily in Canada. So that's mostly what we are doing, or that covers really everything that we are doing. And um, my own current role... Uh, is to plant and invigorate among immigrant churches. We now have about 40 immigrant churches in Canada that we are connecting with. In 2001, we had one. And so a lot has changed in our country since that time. We are working primarily with people groups, Chinese, Ethiopian, and Eritrean, two countries, but one uh, people group in many ways, Persians or Iranians, Afghans, Nigerian, and other West Africans, people from Burma, also called Myanmar. And uh, this has become a great joy to me to work with these people who have come to our country. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was on a Zoom call with um, my Afghan brother. I call him Obed the Afghan. And uh, he was on a Zoom call teaching this Nigerian man named Peter who has just come to Toronto to plant churches among Nigerians and West Africans in Toronto. Right during the pandemic, he arrived December 1st. And uh, the two of them were on this Zoom call together, and Obed was teaching Peter how to do outreach and church planting using social media. And it was really something, because Obed, who grew up in Afghanistan among the Taliban and was active in the Taliban for years there during his high school and post-high school years, uh, was converted in Pakistan and is a lively, vigorous evangelist and is very active in promoting the gospel and teaching scriptures all around the world. And uh, so if you saw his, I wanted, actually there's so much I would like to tell you. Uh, I'm just going to squish it down into uh, a little bit. But Obed is very active, using social media, good at it. And he was teaching Peter, and I was just marveling at what a master teacher Obed is using social media. And not only using the technical aspects of it, but explaining to Peter, this is how you need to reach out to your people in Toronto. You need to phone them. You need to develop a... Uh, a circle of people that know you and are acquainted with you and you 
are developing relationships and rapport with them. It was a highlight of the week for me to hear Obed teaching Peter, who is only moderately good at technology, maybe a little less than moderately good. Um, we've been working with Chinese churches for quite a long time now. Uh, Ming Peng Gong, who is the primary leader of the Chinese churches that we are working with, lives in Toronto. He came to know the Lord in Waterloo back in Lakeshore days. And, uh, and so he has become a wonderful evangelist and teacher, goes back to China every year, uh, speaks at conferences among uh, Chinese people. Uh, Toronto is now the largest Chinese center outside of Asia. So more Chinese people in Toronto and in the GTA than in other, any other city outside of Asia. And uh, in January of this year, uh, he began to devote just now part of his time to pastoring a church near York University and the other, ha other portion of his time developing something that we're calling the Chinese Church Association. It's just fledgling, but they will be independent Chinese churches that are coming together under that umbrella of the Chinese Church Association and that umbrella is uh, under a larger umbrella of Vision Ministries Canada. Uh, so there are a number of these networks now. Uh, in fact, in each of these people groups, I'm connecting with each of them, and tomorrow morning we'll be meeting in Toronto with six people, each representing a network, to talk about how we can plant churches more effectively together. We're going to be over, going over our policy uh, document that we produced to say, how can we do this better? And we're having them contribute to that conversation tomorrow, uh, it'll take us quite a while uh, because I know that they're each going to have quite a bit to say about this. Uh, you know that we've been involved in Kenya for 10 years now and some of you, Gary and Diane, were actually in Kenya with us and, uh, and Ron was with us a couple of times and so we're now looking ahead and saying, okay, what have we learned in these first 10 years? And how can we reshape this in the next five years? So we've just been in the middle of this conversation. We're working with up to 75 churches in Kenya. They are all poor. Uh, they, they don't really like to call them poor. They are economically challenged uh, churches in Kenya. They are mostly smaller, although some are a little bit larger. And... Uh, so we are working with that group. We've been working with churches from Burma, or also called Myanmar now, for about 14 years. There are maybe a dozen or 15 of these Chin churches. Chin is a tribe, a tribal group in Burma or Myanmar in the north part of the country. And I had the opportunity of being there last March. And uh, in fact, it was just after I got home that the lockdown happened here. My friend Indy has continued to stay there because the whole airport was locked down almost just a few days after I left. So he's still there, and his family is in Winnipeg. And uh, I would really appreciate your praying for him. It's a hard time in Myanmar because they have a, a, a ruthless military government there that has been extremely oppressive of all minorities, but including Christians, and this has been going on for 
50 years. And so when I was there in March, I visited uh, parts of the country where people have fled their villages because the government military helicopters have come in and shot up villages and chased people away from their own villages and farms, and they are now in internally displaced camp or camps for internally displaced people, supported by the UN. So everybody knows about this, that this is going on. This is a country that is on par with North Korea and Eritrea in terms of uh, oppression, uh, oppressive regimes. And so I would really like for you to pray for Indy. We're praying with, for him and with him every Friday morning. So there are six of us praying on one little screen. So our heads are all together in this one little screen, and it's become a very intimate prayer time. And because the six of us have all been working together already here in Canada for quite a number of years, and now he's there, and we're all gathering together, praying for him and praying for each other, and it's become one of the most intimate prayer groups that I've ever been involved with, is this prayer group on Zoom. And so yesterday, there was a demonstration in Kitchener that I was a part of or participated in, and uh, they could have easily had 500 people there, but they were limited because of the current protocols. And uh, they were there uh, to bring attention to the fact that their country is under siege with this military uh, ruthless government. And Indy, my friend who is still locked down, was a part of a student uprising in 1988. And there were probably around 2,000 students slaughtered by the military at that time. And he escaped that, escaped to a, a camp in Thailand, was sponsored by a church in Winnipeg. Uh, the Maples Community Church sponsored him to come to Winnipeg, and he is now the uh, coordinator of these Chin churches, not only in Canada, but around the world. He has a remarkable ministry. And uh, so it was a privilege to stand with them yesterday in Kitchener. I'm also involved in some international projects that I've already mentioned, Vision Ministries Kenya. Uh, I'm connecting with some other uh, church network leaders from 13 other countries and uh, on Tuesday, we'll be meeting with a group in England who would like to establish something like Vision Ministries Canada in England. So we're going to be having a two-hour conversation on Tuesday evening. And so I would like to thank you here for being a part of all of this, whether you know it or not. Uh, these are things that uh, God has brought our way. And, uh, and I'd like to thank you for uh, supporting us in all of these years. But this morning, I want to talk with you from John chapter 15. Follow me in obedience. And I want us to read through this passage this morning. And you might think about this. Well, the Old Testament has its commands, obey, do this. The New Testament seems to have its commands, obey, do this. What's the difference? We're going to look at that this morning by reading this passage and referring to some others. And so if you can just mumble along while I'm reading this to you, I'll read it slowly. And we're going to read it twice. Uh, I'm going to read it through the first time, underlining 
words that have to do with our obligation to obey and commandments. And you will see those obligatory words. The second time you read it through, we're going to focus on the love of God and what gives us strength and power to obey. Let's read. And consider this, that the Lord Jesus is speaking these words to his disciples the night before his crucifixion. So these are important last words. So I want you to understand the intensity of what is going on here as he is speaking to them. I have loved you, even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love, underline, remain. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. Now, when you look at those underlined words, it looks kind of like a load of obligation of responsibility for the disciples. Do this. I want to read it again. I have loved you, even as the Father has loved me. Think about that. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. And I'm thinking about that this morning. Well, how, what does that mean? How has the Father, how does the Father love the Son? What does that look like? Would you think with me about that? We're not talking about us. We're not talking about this planet we're talking about before the beginning of time and even now. What does it mean for the Father to love the Son? Our imagination just feels so limited to understand that. But he said, I have loved you the same way. I'm not here this morning to crack the obedience whip with you. I am here this morning to say that the Lord Jesus of whom we sang, Sovereign One, I have loved you and I want you to hear me saying this to you individually. I have loved you as the Father loved me. Just uh, 
This past week, Heather's mom went home to be with the Lord. And about a week and a half ago, Heather and I were with her. And I was reading to her John 3.16. And as soon as I started, she began to recite it. And, to, and it was the one verse that she could still remember. And we sang with her. She sang with us. Amazing grace. And when we got to the end, she gave a strong hallelujah. <laughs> and Heather's mom was never really kind of a hallelujah person. But I want you to try to grasp this. There were times when we were with her, and she said, I just want to go. It was hard. It seemed like it was dragging on. How long is it going to be? There's often a gap between what we hope for in terms of the love of God and what we actually experience. And for her, what she was experiencing was, how long is this going to take? And on the other hand, when we sang with her, hallelujah. In between those two spaces, what we expect or hope for and what we actually experience, there's sometimes a painful reality. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. That's actually how it shows. Love and obeying come right together. They are two sides of a coin, you might say. And so, not something separate that I can just stay in my chair and just remain in God's love. Yes, that's part of it. But the other side of it is, when you obey my commandments, you are remaining in my love. These two things go together. Just as I obey my Father's commands and remain in His love, that's, that's the comparison that we have. And I think to myself, well, Gord, are you thinking like that all the time? And no, I'm not. But since I've been preparing to speak to you from this passage, I've been very conscious of what this might mean. Remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. Do it the same way. I've told you these things so that you'll be filled with joy, not thinking, oh, I guess I've got to obey, you know. Uh, I need more obedience in my life. That's not the point here. The point is, I told you these things so that you would be filled with joy. And remember, it's still the night before. <laughs> I've told you these things so that you would be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. 
There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends, which was about to happen. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You know, in my late teens, I worked in Kitchener as an apprentice tool and die maker. And for those of you who don't know what a tool and die maker is, uh, a tool and die maker, if you have a car, and if you look at the hood, that hood is made in a die. There's a bottom part and a top part. And the top part punches that metal into the form that makes your hood, and it, the die is the part that we were making, the bottom part and the top part would fit into a gigantic press and squeeze out a hood for your car. So that's what I was doing, working as an apprentice. In those days, the center of the automotive industry was Detroit. Imagine if the president of GM or Ford or Chrysler had, along with the chief designer, had come to Kitchener because we heard that Gord Martin is working as an apprentice there. We want to spend some time with him. Can you imagine such a thing? That they would be coming to say, oh, well, you're doing something very important here in Kitchener, Gord. You're helping produce a part that nobody will ever see that it's underneath a car somewhere. Uh, but we want to visit with you. We're going to tell you everything. That would never happen. But look at this. You are my friends, since I have told you everything the Father told me. Can you imagine that? This is how, this is what we are to be gripped by, not just crank out obedience, but to say that the Father and the Son have been talking things over about what's going to happen down through the ages, and they've come here to talk to us. You didn't choose me. This wasn't your idea. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. Obedience is entirely encapsulated inside of this love of the Father for the Son and for us. And our joy is made complete when we open up our hearts and say, yes, Lord. All of us have a beginning to this. A beginning when we say yes. And some of you may say, I remember when that happened, when I first said yes to Jesus. But there's also a matter of saying all of me yes to Jesus. Not just saying, yes, I also want to go to heaven when I die, but yes, I want to know your joy in me now. I want to be abiding, remaining in you, obeying your commandments I want to know your joy, all of that. Here I am today. All of us also need to come to that place again and again, just this morning for me. 
And for each of us, again and again, to become those people who are ones whose arms and hearts are open wide. Gary, I totally lost track of, it's about 12 minutes to 12. What time does this part, the preaching normally finish? <laughs> I know that's not true. What time do you normally finish? Okay. Uh, so what's the difference? The Old Testament has commands. The New Testament has commands. Obey, do this. But I want to say that there is a massive difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, we have laws and mercy. So that laws are predominant, the Ten Commandments, all kinds of other laws in Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, hundreds of them. But also the mercy of God shines through that whole sacrificial system. People were supposed to get it. A lot of them did and a lot didn't. In the New Testament, Jesus came and John said, we saw his glory. It was like he was full of grace and truth. He shone somehow. We saw something completely different in him, full of grace and truth. In the Old Testament, in Hebrews, it says that God spoke in various ways through dreams and visions and prophets. But in the New Covenant, it's God with us. It's Emmanuel. It's him coming himself. When you read through the Old Testament, you feel the heartache of God that he's longing to speak to people, get them to understand and walk in his ways. And they're saying like, hmm, what's for dinner? You read the prophets, and they are crying out to people to turn. He wants them to understand that mercy. But in the New Testament, you have him saying, I'm coming myself. Emmanuel, God with us. This is the passion and the heart of God. In the Old Testament, many sacrifices over and over and over to remind them again and again of the mercy of God for them. But in the New Testament, it's one sacrifice for all time. That when Jesus laid down his life, it was once for all, finished. And he sat down at the right hand of God. In the Old Testament, there was glory. Glory so that Moses, when he came down from the mountain, his face was shining and it put something over his face, kind of like these masks, uh, put something over his face because the glory was too much. People couldn't look at him. But in the New Testament, a surpassing glory, by far outshining anything that Moses saw. In the Old Testament, it was, don't get too close. People were told when at Mount Sinai, stay away, don't come too close. And Moses went up the mountain. Only the, once a year could the high priest go into the most holy place. But in the New Testament, he says, come right in. So for us to grasp the glory of all of this, this is how God loves us and cares for us. We're not here to crack the whip and say you need to beat it. We're here for you to say, Oh my goodness, how could this be possible that I am loved in such a way?
You are my beloved friends. Stay. Remain. Love. Obey as I love. As I obey my... Like that. Do it lavishly. Not in a stingy way. It's somehow... Obedience... If it's obedience only, it's small-minded, all about the rules. Like, how much obedience would be enough? What would be the bare minimum of obedience that might be required of me? Just tell me what the minimum is and see if I can get there. Do this. You'll be right. You'll be safe. You'll avoid danger. And by the way, we will monitor you. That's not what we're talking about here. This morning I was, as I was, I could hardly wait to come and speak to you actually uh, about this. I was listening to some songs about the love of God and I thought, oh, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. You are my loved friends. And I want to say to you here this morning, and those of you watching online, that the Lord Jesus is saying to you, you are my loved friends. Friends. Let's not be small-minded. Can you imagine? Love like this, and then we would bicker and have problems with each other about masks and Really? Love each other. We're talking about a love that comes down from heaven that is to be dominating. Uh, Dr. Harry Ironside, who was once upon a time the pastor of Moody Church in Chicago, tells this story in his commentary on John 15. He says that even in his day, a long time ago, a missionary in China was engaged in the work of translating the New Testament into Chinese. He had an eminent scholar, Chinese scholar, assist him, a Confucianist, who had never heard of Christianity until this missionary engaged him for help in his translation. He sat with him day after day, and together they went through the New Testament page after page. Verse by verse, the Chinese scholar would suggest the proper Chinese word in order to make the meaning plain, and the missionary was a painstaking kind of person, anxious to produce a splendid translation. One thing he thought he had better not do was talk religion with his helper. This was the missionary had decided this. <laughs> he had decided he wouldn't try to talk about religion, just purely translate the words. So he was very careful, and he never said a word to the man about his need for Christ or salvation or, his, or of his, for his own soul. But finally, when they had finished, he thought he ought to say something. He, so he said this, you have been a great help to me. I could never have gotten along without you. Now, I would like to ask, as we have come along through the New Testament, has not the beauty of Christianity appealed to you? 
would you not like to be a Christian? The scholar looked at him and said, yes, it does appeal to me. It is the most wonderful system of ethics and philosophy I have ever known. I think that if I could once see a Christian, I might become interested. But said the missionary, I am a Christian. You, said the Chinese scholar, are you a Christian? Oh, no. Pardon me. I don't want to offend you. But I have observed and listened to you all the way along. You are not a Christian. If I understand right, a Christian is a follower of Jesus. And Jesus says, a new commandment I give unto you that you might love one another. But I have listened to you talk about others who were not present saying unkind things about them. You are not a Christian. And then, I have noticed too that Christianity teaches perfect trust. And I translated for you a passage that says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You are told to trust and not be afraid, but you don't do that. If your check is a little late in reaching you, you are dreadfully worried and you wonder what you're going to do. And he went on with a number of other things like that, ending with, I have had to conclude that you are not a Christian. I think if I could see a Christian, I would like to be one. The poor broken-hearted missionary, he sobbed before the Lord and said, Oh, I have been so careless. He just broke down and had to ask forgiveness for his coldness and neglect. The scholar went away and said, Hmm, well, I wonder if after all I haven't seen a Christian. <laughs> you see, Christians are not perfect as the world expects perfection. But we should grow more like our master every day. What Jesus is looking for is fruit. Albert Barnes said this, you should be rich in good works, faithful and successful in spreading my gospel. This was the great business for which they had been prepared. And this they faithfully accomplished. And this is the great purpose for which Christians are chosen. No matter who we are, where we are, what our particular calling is, this is the fruit that he is looking for, that there would be many people, many people that we know and are acquainted with, who would also come to know and to walk with him. How can we bear fruit? He says, remain in my love. Pour it out as joyful obedience that will last, result in lasting fruit. So whatever you want, my Lord and my love, I will love as you loved. Just this past week, somebody said to Heather that her mother has now gone home to be with the love of her life. <laughs> so for each of us here this morning, the love of our life is the Lord Jesus, whose Father loved him and calls me to love you the way he and the Father love one another. 
that's the obedience that we are called to. It's not about the rules. It is about the love. Father, we come to you now and we thank you for this time that we have had together. Thank you for your word. Who could have imagined a human being making up something like this? We bow before you, acknowledging you as the one who came from heaven to earth, who spoke these words of life to us. Father, may your spirit come upon us and may it be that there is a welcome response from us saying, yes, Lord. Here am I, send me. I want to remain in you day by day by day. Father, we commend ourselves to your gracious care. May your peace be on your children everywhere. May it be that wherever we are this morning, that we will have a sense that you are the one who loves us. You are the one who cares for us. We have this privilege of remaining in you obeying you, that our joy might be full. May it be so. In the name of Jesus, amen.